I want to thank my brother for uh, reading today's scripture. I know we did it a little bit differently, but uh, I wanted to read the scripture for us to meditate and worship. Um, obviously, my scripture this morning is out of John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And we see the breakfast discourse between Peter and our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. You are so good. So good. And we are humbly before your presence this morning, celebrating your resurrection, your defeat of death, so that we may live in you. Father, I thank you for all that are here this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every single one of our hearts. As Judy said when she was at the conference, that her heart was open. And Father, we know that whenever there's an open heart, you enter in. And so Father, enter into our hearts this morning. And let us glean from your word the truths of your word. And that you desire for all of us to be restored. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Ron opened up with invocation, he has risen. He has risen indeed. And I'm grateful to be here this Easter Sunday to share a message that the Lord has placed upon my heart as it relates to the resurrection. In fact, it's one of my favorite resurrection stories because it involves Peter. Peter and I are a lot alike. We share a lot of qualities, bad and good. And this exchange between Peter and Jesus is something that I've always wanted to preach on for a long time, but I just couldn't fully understand it. And so this morning, I want to share with you, with excitement, what Jesus had shared with me as it relates to this exchange between Peter and Christ. Because you know what? There's just a little bit of Peter in every one of us. But let's catch up a little bit so that we understand exactly the context of this morning's scripture. As we know on Easter morn, the first day of the week, which in Jewish, Jewish tradition is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and other women approached the tomb with spices in order to anoint the body of Christ. Now we all know, and because of the song too, uh, relays this morning that there was a giant stone in front of the tomb, placed there at the request of the Pharisees, because they did not want the disciples to come and rob the tomb, therefore create, in their words, the second fraud from which Jesus, being the first fraud, would continue. And as they approached the tomb, a great earthquake occurred, thus moving the stone. And Mary and the other women, they met with angels who told them, Why are you seeking the living of the dead? Go and tell the disciples what has happened. And so Mary went and told the disciples. And of course, we know that Peter and John were first to hear, and they took off running, obviously being close to the tomb. And Peter, being a fisherman, being a slower one, John beat him to the tomb. But Peter immediately entered in, 
And he's seen the clothes that wrapped Jesus on the left and the shroud that covered his face on the right. And Peter left marveled. Then Jesus appeared to the disciples that evening. And then he appeared to them again eight days later and showed Thomas, doubting Thomas, the wounds of his hand and the opening in his side. And after a period of time, we don't really know. Peter said, well, you know what? I'm going to go fishing because that's what Peter did. He was a fisherman. And seven other disciples went with him. And while they were out fishing, and they only fished at night because that's when the fish would surface close to the surface because they're light sensitive, they didn't catch anything. And as they're approaching the shore, John recognizes that it's the Lord on the shore. Peter, after having denied Jesus, having had this period of time walking with his guilt and his shame, puts his cloak on, dives into the water, not wanting to wait for the boat to reach the shore, swims to the shore and runs to the feet of Jesus. Not saying a word. He wanted so much to see his Lord again. Now that was an abbreviated timeline for the sake of time. There's much more to that story and I would encourage you to read all four Gospels this morning or this afternoon. Not while I'm preaching, that would be distracting, but everybody's down flipping pages. But what I want to do is I want to walk verse by verse in the scriptures that Ron read so that we could fully understand exactly what is being said here. This exchange between Peter and John. And then, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? First, we see the first scripture in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Note here that Jesus meets Peter and the disciples on the shore already have providing breakfast with bread and fish on the fire. And it just truly speaks to the character of our Lord and that He is always the provider of our needs and that He will always provide for you the daily bread in which you need. And so Jesus, having not walked on the water to meet them, as he had done before in the storm, is now sitting by a fire with a fish and some bread for breakfast. But this also shows the reality of Jesus. Jesus, when he first appeared into, with the disciples, they were amazed and they thought they were seeing a spirit. Now they're seeing Jesus in the flesh, in his reality. And as they sit around the fire, and Peter, no doubt, was sitting closest to Jesus. I don't have any scripture that would back that up, but I can only imagine the... Peter, I can only imagine how he so desired to see the Lord again after his betrayal. That's what I would do. I'd probably be on his lap. 
And Jesus says, the first words that he says is Simon, son of John. Now your Bibles might say son of Jonas. This is Peter's formal name. Note Jesus does not use Peter or Cephas, the name that he gave him that represents being the rock from which he would build his church. No, he's using a formality here, and for good reason, because now there's a serious and solemn tone in the next exchange between Jesus and Peter. And throughout this discourse, he uses his formal name. I remember, I mean, we all know that when our parents are speaking to us in a serious tone, they know your full name and they use it. I remember Pastor David, when I was being mentored and growing up in the church, whenever I would get a little bit beyond my raisins, Pastor David would say, Mr. Allen. That's when I knew, what? Stop, listen. And so Jesus is using a formal term in order to show the significance of what he is about to ask Peter Now, Jesus also addresses Peter individually, but in the presence of other disciples. There are a couple of reasons for this. First, everyone knew Peter's denial. Jesus foretold, and we see it in the evidence in Matthew accounts, in chapter 8, where Peter boldly proclaimed, Oh, I will not fall like they will. And then Jesus told him, Oh, no, Peter, you're going to fall. And when you hear the crow three times, You will have denied me. Everybody heard that. Secondly, Peter is the leader of the disciples. And Jesus' admonishment to him to strengthen his brothers, as we find in Luke, after he would be restored, Jesus said, now go and strengthen the brethren. And so Peter was the leader. And so Jesus is now addressing Peter before his disciples. Not only is restoration important, on a personal level. But because of Peter's sin, it also needed to be reestablished on a corporate level. And Peter would, in fact, be that rock that the Lord would establish his church. Sometimes restoration needs to be done individually, depending on the sin but it also may need to be done corporately as well. I remember going to district conference with Ken, and I believe Mike was at this one as well. And I can't remember his name, and I I should have looked it up, but the guest speaker that was at the district conference, who was a pastor in the Alliance, had to come to grips with his addiction to pornography. And he was speaking upon that topic throughout the whole conference. And I remember what he said, because the first thought I had was, how did this church receive that? He said that the church was loving, forgiving, and they restored him and helped him in his treatment. That's not how the world would do it. But that's how the Lord's people and his children and his church would do it. 
And it was necessary for him to be corporately restored because his sin affected the corporate body as a pastor. Then Jesus goes on and says, Do you love me more than these? The love Jesus is used here is a form of agape, and it's in a verb form, and it's agapeo. It is a love that shows a high and devoted love, a divine and perfect love, the love which God loves us, and we are to love others. It reveals the love of Christ has for Peter, and the questions, and he questions whether the same love exists in Peter's heart. Now, some scholars believe that there's no real significance in the different kinds of love that we see on display within these scriptures, given the fact that John, the writer of the gospel, is translating from Aramaic to Greek, and sometimes John uses these terms interchangeably, thus not giving any type of distinction here within these scriptures. But others feel there is a significance, and, we'll, and it will play out as the exchange continues between Jesus and Peter. You know, one of the things that stand out in the character of our Lord is that He's direct, but in love. He's direct, but in love. It is the same way that Jesus spoke to the prostitute, asking her where her accuser was, and to go and sin no more. It's the same as when He talked to the rich young ruler, and He said, go and sell everything, and then come and follow Me. It is the same when He spoke to the Samaritan woman, and he says, you are right to say you do not have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you are with now is not your husband. And he said it always in love. Never to hurt. Never to be critical. But pointing out the truth in a way that they would penetrate their heart. You know, some see directness as rude, unkind, or lacks gentleness. You know, some, some people think that the gospel should be presented with soft mittens and warm kittens. And there's a time and a place as to how you preach the gospel to people, right? Some people, they need to hear it directly. Some people need to be encouraged and to know that they're loved and that God loves them. Each person is different. But the message is the same. And we need to say it directly in love. You know, brothers and sisters, the gospel message is clear and succinct. It needs no elaboration or complex explanation. It speaks right to the heart to, to those who are being wooed unto Jesus. We need to share it in the same manner. The gospel doesn't have to be packaged to make it more palatable or non-offensive. It's not to be presented pragmatically, as my brother would say, but clearly and directly in love. In sharing the gospel, I never attempt to sell salvation. And what I mean by that is I don't highlight all the blessings that you will receive upon giving your life to the Lord. No, we need to speak about the gospel message in putting their faith in Christ, rep repenting of their sins, and confessing that faith, and being reconciled to Him. The blessings are a byproduct of that.
And if you ever feel like you can't share the truth in that manner, rest assured the Spirit is already doing a work. And so saying it directly doesn't always mean insensitively. It needs to be done in love for your compassion for the person in which you're sharing it. In fact, you know, I, as a, as a, as a, I don't like to talk about what I do, but more times than not, I ask open-ended questions in the interviews that I do. I want people to talk. People love to talk when they're nervous, right? That doesn't mean that's why my sermons are 45 minutes long. But there are times when I have to ask direct questions, and I don't want an elaborate answer. I want the answer. And so there is a time and a place for that. And so Jesus asks a direct question. And this prevents Peter from walking out of it. It makes Peter examine his heart and answer in the way in which he did. Now it says that, do you love them more than these? Now, more than these represents two possibilities. The first, Jesus asked Peter to compare his love for Jesus to the love that the other disciples had with Jesus. You know, before he denied Jesus three times, Peter claimed to love Jesus more than the other disciples. In fact, like I said in Matthew 26, 33, it says, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Pretty pretty proud proclamation. I don't know. We know and see that in Scripture that there was some always some little competition between the disciples. Whether who would be the greatest of the disciples? Who should have the right to sit at the right hand of Christ? The humility of the disciples was always on display for us to see. But it was always on display for us not to replicate. Pride should never be found in the believer of Christ. Pride always strikes on an independent line and shows itself by independent action and boasting or showing in an elevated manner. That was Peter's response to Jesus in Matthew about how he would never fail. You know, I once told a friend of mine that we should never compare our faith with others, whether weak or strong, but be examples to one another, lifting each other up in faith. Jesus could have also been pointing to the fish. If you remember, they caught 153 fish, and Peter, who's a very strong man, was the one that grabbed the net and drug it all the way up to the fire. Some say that was 300 pounds. It was his life. It was all he knew. And although Jesus called him to follow him, and he would make him fishers of men, the call to fish was still strong in Peter's life as evidence of the fact that after a while, when Jesus did not return again and visit them, he said, you know what? I'm going fishing. Done waiting. That's not scriptural, that's me. But thinking of Peter, that's probably what he said. I can't sit around here all day I need to do something. I need to go fishing. Many times our occupations, 
Many times our hobbies can replace the priority of Jesus in our life. Our sense of duty, our sense of play, are strong draws that can tear us away from our Lord. In either case, whether relational, responsibilities, or activities, Jesus has highlighted the priority of relationship and how He needs to be first and foremost over all other relationships. Because when He's first, then you're able to properly love those. When He's first, you could be a better father. When He's first, you could be a better mother. When he's first, you could be a better husband. When he's first, you could be a better wife. When he's first, you could be a better child to your parents. When he's first, you could be a better employee. When he's first, you could be a better boss. When he's first, everything comes in alignment. And now we see Peter's reply. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Here, Peter answered Jesus, but uses a different term for love. As I spoke earlier, it's phileo. It's a brotherly love. It's a love of fondness. A fondness for others. With John's use of notwithstanding, as I said before, Peter may not have understood the gravity of the love Jesus used in the intent of Jesus' question. And the reason for this is Peter being an impulsive person, eager to show his loyalty, especially after this period of time of denial of Jesus, may have answered the question without fully understanding and hearing what Jesus said. You know, sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we're thinking about a response before we hear the full question. In Proverbs 18.13, it says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame." So it's important to listen to what's being said and understood what's being said. And it's even more important that we wait to hear from the Lord in His soft voice. After Peter's reply, Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs signifies Peter's purpose in the church as a shepherd who feeds the sheep. And in context of the lambs, it reflects those who are weak in the faith or young in the faith and how he needs to feed them with milk so they can grow strong in the faith. Within the church, we're all different levels of maturity and growth. There are those that are strong in faith and those who are weak in faith. And as Paul admonished the church in his Epistles, we are to take care of the weaker brother, the weaker sister, and build them up in faith and not quench their growth with our liberty and our freedom. We are to be sensitive to those around us, to build them up. It also speaks to the nurturing aspect of ministry, no matter what ministry you're in. Peter, being a strong and self-willed fisherman, will need to learn gentleness. Will need to learn meekness. Will need to learn kindness in loving those in the church, especially the lambs of the body.
And now Jesus gives Peter the second question. But it's slightly abbreviated. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, Jesus uses Peter's formal name, and he also uses the same love, agapeo. And yet, Peter answers the same with phileo. Then Jesus said, tend my sheep. Tend comes from the Greek word for shepherd. Here Jesus is speaking right at Peter's calling and right at Peter's mission. Tend also means to rule and govern and oversee, pointing to his office and his responsibilities in it. I can't help but think that Peter heard these words and how assuring they were because Jesus is speaking about a purpose and that his denial did not remove the calling on Peter's life. In fact, for those who are in Christ and Christ is in them, Romans says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. We live in a world of cancel culture. God is not in the canceling business. He's in the restoring business. A friend of mine, I wasn't going to share the story, but I'm going to share it now. Um, I was ministering one day, and a young man just came to the Lord, brand new. And I went over and I met him. This was when I was preaching at another church. And I sat and just to hear the wonder of the Lord in his life, the newness, the freshness, the hope that you could see spiritually in this person that he himself could not define. He really didn't even know what really happened to him, but he was grateful that it did. And I was so excited for him because I see this journey of growing in the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of the Lord and how it's going to change his life forever. So I prayed with him. Well, I got a phone call weeks later that the same person that I prayed for found himself in a very difficult situation, having yielded to temptation. And now he faced the loss of his family. He faced legal consequences, and he was crushed. And I shared with my friend, I said, you need to tell him that God still loves him. You need to tell him that God has not abandoned him. You need to tell him that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Yes, there are consequences to our sin, and he is going to have to deal with those consequences. But God can even move in those consequences. Well, he did. He met with him. And my friends shared this text that this young man shared with him. It was very helpful to me, he says to my friend. God worked through you to choose that sermon as he was responsible for bringing up the type of sermons that would be showed on a video. No doubt in my mind about that. Back when I first started coming to this church, I used to search for evidence of God or Jesus being real on the internet and YouTube. This last week, I have witnessed them in countless ways, and you telling me this is just one more example of His amazing grace and mercy. 
what this young man's going through has not destroyed his faith. It has strengthened it. And God is going to carry him through it because God is a God of restoration. You know, there are times when we feel lost that God will take everything away due to our disobedience. Oh, I really messed up this time. Or if we do not answer the call due to fear, He will abandon us. That is not how our loving Father works. If there is ever a sin that should eliminate us from ministry, it should be the denying of Christ. And yet, we see Peter, who denied Christ, being restored by Christ. Not only in his spirit, not only in his person, but in his calling. Then we come upon the third question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, within this question, Jesus asks Peter the same question, but now uses the word phileo, the same word that Peter was using. This, again, notwithstanding what some believe John was doing with those words, I can't help but wonder that the reason Jesus used phileo, which is brotherly love, was to further restore Peter not only in his love for Jesus as his Lord and Master, but also as a friend. Remember, Peter walked with Jesus for two years. Peter was in the inner circle. Peter loved Jesus. Jesus loved Peter. And not only did Peter's denial deny Christ, but it also denied his friend Jesus. And by asking the question with phileo, it restores the full relationship spiritually and personally. Additionally, ministry and serving others and fellowship with others takes a sincere phileo love. We are to love each other with an agape love, a godly love, a perfect love, a love that is sincere and comes from a pure heart. But we're also called to love in a brotherly way, in a fond way. I hear people say sometimes, and I'm not a big fan of it, to be honest with you. I love them, but I don't like them. That's not true. If we truly had agape love in our heart, we would never say that. You think Jesus liked those who put him on a cross? He loved them. And so when we match agape love with phileo love, then we developed this godly fondness for one another. A true caring for one another. You know, sometimes we love people out of duty, right? We go to the definition of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we say, okay, this is what I'm going to do with this difficult person in my life. And then we miss essence of love 
which is the fondness, the personal connection, the deep caring, regardless of how they feel about you. That's the love we need to have. Now, again, that is my opinion. Never read that in any kind of commentary or breakdown of Scripture. But I can't help but wonder if that's why Jesus used phileo the third time. But now Peter is grieved. Grieved here means to be sorrowful, to act with sadness. Peter, no doubt, thought that the third question revealed that Jesus was not accepting his heartfelt response. It was as if Jesus did not believe him. You ever have somebody ask you over and over and over again, especially kids, teenagers, Toby, your dad asks you over and over and over again, and you're like, how many times do I need to tell you? And you don't think they believe you? I can't help but think that this is how Peter is feeling. Is that Jesus is quizzing him and that he's failing. And as a result, it grieved Peter. He doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe me. He knows my heart. He doesn't believe me. But he doesn't understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus believed him. Jesus was restoring him. In the three denials of Peter, Jesus now asked Peter if he loves him three times. There is a significance in the Bible as it symbolizes something with the number three. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is made up of three. We know that Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days. We know that a cord of three is not easily broken. We know that Jesus Christ raised from the dead on the third day. Whenever we see three within the Word of God, we need to understand it symbolizes completeness. Completeness. Peter's denial three times completed the denial. Jesus' questions of whether he loved him completes his restoration. It also signifies in the Hebrew signifies a new life, a new life. And from this time forward, Peter's life will never be the same. Gone are the days of a fisherman as a profession given by way of a position of a shepherd and an evangelist for men. The restoration of Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit transformed Peter from denier to testifier, bringing salvation to thousands and establishing a church that brought down an empire and established it around the world. Restoration is the same for us as well. For when we place our faith in Jesus, we too are not only saved, but transformed. I was once a betrayer of God. Living in sin, knowing the truth, living the way I wanted to, how I wanted to, where I wanted to. My work was my church. My hobbies were my idol. And when Jesus Christ entered into my life and asked me if I loved him more than these, my life forever changed. And I would never have believed me if I would be standing in front of you today giving you a sermon on Easter Sunday. And if you knew me before I was saved, you'd probably say, we would agree with that. 
God is a God of restore, restoration. God is a God of transformation. Peter also said, you know everything. You know everything in his response. Lord, you know everything. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knows your heart. He knows everything about you. There is nothing hidden. He knows what draws you away. He knows what hardens your heart. He knows what places replaces him on the throne of your heart at times. He knows. He always knows. We cannot escape the look of the Lord in a courtyard, nor an examination of our hearts by a fire on the shore. Jesus knows who are His. The doctrine of predestination teaches us this. He knows who will accept Him. He knows who will reject Him. And for those who receive Him, it brings joy to His heart. And for those who reject Him, it pains Him as the Good Shepherd. Crushes Him. On Wednesday night, I brought these scriptures to prayer group to hear what they were hearing. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. I, I apologize. Then, Jesus, then Peter goes, or Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, this is different than feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Right? Now he says, feed my sheep. And again, Jesus uses the term to identify Peter's calling as a shepherd. Now, on Wednesday night, we brought these scriptures to prayer group and to hear what they were hearing, you know, studying the scripture. What, what is the Lord saying to you? And Antonia shared that Jesus' repetition in saying, feeding my lambs and feeding my sheep, signifies the great importance of teaching God's word. She shared that in Nigeria, where she comes from, the gospel message there seems to be all about prosperity and wealth and not on solid teaching of the gospel. And that does occur. The primary purpose of a pastor or a shepherd is to feed the flock, train and equip. Ephesians 4 says this. It is to teach, to share, and grow in the knowledge and understanding of the church, to teach sound doctrine to bring all of us into the unity of faith and to maturity in Christ. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be bringing a message on Ephesians chapter 4. Talking about that. In fact, it's a great honor to be a preacher or a teacher, but it comes with a great accountability because you are to breach and bring Sound doctrine. As a preaching elder in this church and with my other elders, Mike and Kelvin, and the deacons, it is our commitment that the Word of God will always be preached in spirit and truth and in power from this pulpit. And we will guard this pulpit to ensure that that is what is preached and taught. It doesn't exist in all the churches. And I'm not here to be critical of any other church. 
but in the world in which we live, where people desire to have itchy ears. In fact, Paul warned Timothy that that was coming. Our desire here is to preach God's word in spirit and truth. Now, when we assess the Lord's charges to Peter within each statement, in feeding my lambs, tending my sheep, and feeding my sheep. It shows the fullness of ministry of the church and the responsibility now entrusted to Peter. Now the three questions not only signify the restoration of Peter in his completeness, but it also signifies his recommissioning to it. I can only assume that after Peter's denial, he no longer found the words of Christ. He spoke about Peter being the rock from which he would build his church, resonating in his heart. So not only do the questions of Jesus mean to restore Peter, but it recommissions him. And we see early on in the book of Acts, a spirit-filled Peter preaching to thousands and thousands coming to Christ. But now Jesus moves to the prophetic cost of restoration. With Peter now being fully restored and recommissioned, Jesus now moves to a very sober prophetic utterance in verse 18 through 19. In fact, when you read the whole verses between 15 and 19, you kind of look at verse 18 and 19 and go, do they really belong there? Seems out of place. But there's a reason that they're there. Within these two verses, Jesus reveals a future time in which Peter will no doubt find himself once again in the courtyard of loyalty where he, by his profession of faith, will test the metal of his heart and his love for Christ. And this will take place in Rome. Prior, Peter failed in his own strength. In the future, Peter will be held up in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Lord's strength. Peter must have felt fear in the words that Jesus was telling him about the future of his death. But it also must have brought him great courage because the difference between the first time that Jesus called him and the second time that Jesus recommissions him, you do not hear the words from Jesus saying, you will deny me. What Peter is hearing is that he will be sustained in strength and he will accomplish the task that the Lord will give him. You know, this must have had a dramatic effect on Peter's life because in his epistle, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In fact, if you ever want to see how this transformed Peter, read chapter 5 of 1 Peter. It all comes from his experience. It is estimated that 34 years from the time Peter met with Jesus, he would suffer his death in Rome. And that's what it says when it says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. According to church tradition, Peter was crucified at the hands of Rome, 64 AD, by Nero. 
Also, according to church tradition, he requested to be crucified head down. Because he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Whether this is true or not, it shows that Peter's restoration in the Lord was complete and his, rec- and his recommissioning was effective. And now we come to the final words of the Lord to Peter. Follow me. It is fitting that Jesus ended this exchange between him and Peter and his restoration with these words. These words were the first words spoken to Peter when he was called. They are now the last words spoken to Peter in his restoration. In fact, this follow me is in the present imperative in the Greek. And what that means is to always follow. Never stop. Never look back. Keep moving. Keep following me. Peter never stopped. Peter never stopped following Christ. No matter what he faced, he never stopped. He never once again denied Christ. He fulfilled his mission because he followed Jesus. So what are we to learn from these scriptures in conclusion? What is the Lord speaking to our hearts as it relates to these scriptures this Easter morning? My hope is that we are saying that it's saying to your heart that our Father is a Father of restoration. Bringing back and returning something to its former place. This exchange between Jesus and Peter is one of restoration. Peter sinned by denying Jesus and it broke him down and it broken his spirit. And for days after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter had to live with the guilt of his denial. Peter probably wondered if forgiveness or reconciliation would ever even be possible. And yet, the intentionality of Jesus seeking out Peter and through a series of examination or a series of examining question, Jesus restores him completely. Maybe you're like Peter. Maybe your life has not reflected your relationship with the Lord at times, or maybe it doesn't today. Maybe at times you feel inadequate because of your past or your sin and feel God has abandoned you or He can't use you. Maybe you have sinned and you think, there's no way God would ever forgive me for that. No way God can restore me. No way God can redeem me. Or maybe you've drifted away and went by way of the world and a voice on the shore is calling you back. Or maybe you feel as if God is distant. You don't know why, but it feels like your relationship is not where it needs to be and you have no peace. Or maybe you have never placed your faith in Christ. Sure, you went to church. Maybe you were even baptized as a child. 
but you're not living for them. And you're wondering, is there a point to all of this? You have no answers. You feel no hope. Well, my friends, Easter is about restoration. Christ died on the cross for you and you personally. And he did so, so you can be forgiven. So you can be restored. You can be brought back into a right relationship with Christ. Maybe it's time we jump out of the boat. Maybe it's time we swim to shore. Maybe it's the time we run to the feet of Jesus. And maybe it's a time that we need to be restored. That's what this message is about. And praise God that He is a God of restoration. And praise Him that He loves us so much that He desires to do that for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Father God, that it speaks to our heart. I pray it's speaking to our heart this morning. Father, we all come from different backgrounds, different experiences, and we came into the doors of this church this morning, Father, in different moods and different places. But Father God, I just come before you, lifting up this body, lifting up this church, lifting up those that are here this morning, that they know that you are a God of restoration, that you love them with an everlasting love, that you sent your son to die on the cross, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so, Father, as we prepare ourselves for your table, where we see the bread and we see the juice that represents your broken body, represents your shed blood, let us celebrate this table. It's a celebration of resurrection. It's a celebration of restoration. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If I would have the communion stewards come forward,